Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face-to-face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Welcome. Glad you're with us. I'm Jason McKnight, and I'm here with Ben Hendricks, uh, my esteemed co-host. We always do this together, and I'm really glad. We are really glad to have Kirk Bagnell with us. Kirk, you're a dad of, uh, well, you're a husband of Ruthie, a dad of some kids here at church and in Connecticut, and we're glad you're here today. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be here. Well, here's why Kirk's here. (laughs) Everybody talks about leadership, and we want to know what it is at its root, in its process, how we can avoid being a bad leader no matter where we are, home, community, work, church, and then what does God think about it all? So we are going to unpack this whole idea of leadership today. Kirk Bagnell is with us. He's the head of a group called Ethos Story that focuses on helping businesses and churches lead better. So we're going to talk all around this. But first, Kirk, we got to get to know you a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, um, I would say, first of all, I like you said, I'm a, a husband and a dad and i uh, got two grandbabies. Oh, my goodness. I forgot um, about that. Yep. So you got to. Yeah. So I'm excited about talking about leadership. And if you're going to give me a topic to talk about, this is probably my favorite one. If we weren't going to talk about kids, grandkids, 49ers football. So this is probably my favorite topic. That's so. true. The 49ers, his truck's even red. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, a little bit about me. Just, um, you know, my, uh, my dad was a career army chaplain. So we hmm. um, lived all over the world. He dragged us everywhere. And so I would say I got um, a lot of my desire and uh, passion for leadership from him. Great storyteller, great leader. Um, and so I think that's where I kind of get it honestly. And Uh, We'll talk a little bit, I think, later about being a student of leadership, but I won't get into that yet. But I'd say uh, I also followed in his footsteps and joined the Army and served for about seven years. And then since then, I've been in business and find myself um, gravitating towards learning to lead and teaching others all the time. So it's not just just what I do for a living. It's a hobby. It's a passion. And I just love it. So happy to be talking about it. Yeah. I will say, make sure that you tell everybody exactly what you did in the military. This is one I remember when you told me this. I became a Kirk Bagnell fan right here. So I, well, when I was in the Army, I was commissioned as a second lieutenant, and I was a tank platoon leader. So I got to serve on, on M1A1 tanks, and, uh, and I would say, if you're not going to be a fighter pilot, this is probably the second coolest job to have. <laughs> uh, I loved it, and uh, it was a, you know, Ruthie and I were in the Army together. You know, I was serving. She was the Army wife, but mm-hmm. uh, it was a great time. I loved the soldiers. I loved the environment. I loved the passion and the, the honor in it, but it's a difficult job. It's a difficult job for, inherently, it's dangerous, but... Um, there's a lot of sacrifice. So my friends who stayed in for the 25 plus years, I, you know, they're in still today. And I, I think, man, what sacrifices they've made, not just with their lives, but with um, time away from home. So yeah. it's a challenge. Yeah. And being part of a, a ginormous group that, you know, you just go when the army says. Yep. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. So this has led you to, um, you know, being in the army, then being in business uh, in a major corporation, but now it's led you to a new adventure of ethos story. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so let me start with um, what it means to be a student of leadership, because hmm. that's what kind of led me to this uh, organization called Ethos Story. I, um, somebody will say often, are, are you a student of leadership? And, and I would say, honestly and humbly, yes. So I'm, I'm ever learning, uh, constantly uh, trying to grow, and never graduating. So I'm always a student, <laughs> and um, I just find it as something that I'm extremely passionate about. And uh, what I found is through the years, whether I was in the army or in business, I would find myself in roles of leadership or positions or leading teams, whether I was equipped or not. And I started to realize that what leadership is not. 
And uh, mm. I think so if you're defining leadership, leadership isn't about getting things done. And I think that's a misnomer. Leadership's right. actually about getting things done through other people. Mm. And um, there's a guy named Aubrey Daniels that started a company years ago uh, focused on behavioral science at work and uh, in performance management. He talked about this whole idea of the, at work you have people that sit along the have to do curve. You have some people that live in the want to do curve. Mm. And he said the gap between the have to do's and the want to do's is what he coined discretionary effort. And so as I think about people that are, when you're trying to get things done through other people, you're trying to you know, really tap into their discretionary effort. Right. And so what is it that motivates them? What is it that motivates me? Um, so I, I wish I could say that I was a student of leadership back when I was a student, right. uh, but I wasn't. I didn't get it when I was uh, a student. I didn't get it even when I was in the Army. Um, I was inundated with mm. leadership training, uh, leadership experience. I mean, I'm 22 years old leading a bunch of soldiers who have mostly just come back from war, right. and I'm supposed to be their leader. So there's a lot of humility and a lot of wisdom learning quickly in that. Uh, but I didn't really become a student of leadership until I got out of the Army. Hmm. And what I found was I exited after seven years, and I was, uh, went through a headhunter, and they placed you in companies. Junior military officers go work for a company, and they tell you, you've got leader great leadership experience. You've got great leadership training. It'll apply. And I thought, really? <laughs> and so I found myself working on a night shift, supervising a group of people that were all female. They were all over the age of 55, and I had just come <laughs> from an environment where there were no females and everybody was young. And, um, and I just, I felt kind of aimless and I had a lot of self-doubt. And they could get in the tank, those ladies. Yeah, they could. Yeah, they could. Yeah, if they wanted to. <laughs> I found myself um, really concerned. I was walking through a bookstore one night and I happened to see this book and I picked it up and I started looking at it and it was called Developing the Leader Within You. Hmm. And I started just flipping through the pages and I thought, this guy feels my pain. He, he identified with what I'm going through. So I bought the book, read the whole thing, and it was by a guy named John Maxwell. And um, literally the next day at work, my boss, Greg, he said, hey, Kirk, I got two tickets to a conference, a leadership conference coming up. Would you be interested in going? It's by a guy named John Maxwell. And I said, oh, John's my friend. I said, I just got to know him. So I went to this conference, and that was the day I became a student of leadership because he taught. He, he not only I – did, I didn't just buy into what he said. I understood that he felt like to be a great leader, you need to have a leadership development plan. Right. So that's what's kind of led me to this next step of an organization that does this, not full time, but fully intentionally. So a leadership development plan, yeah. and that's what he taught you. That's great. And so Ethos Story does that, or begins to do that for other people, dull normals. Yes. Yeah, so Ethos Story, it's, it's a company, and what it does is it basically has two secret ingredients that I believe are the, the keys for any organization. So you mentioned earlier, Jason, uh, an organization could be small or large. It could be a school, a family, uh, a company, a department. Mm. And, um, but they're all the same. They're all organizations. And so Ethos Story, think about it this way, that every organization, think about your organization, um, has a story that's being told about it. And then there's a story that you want to be told. And so that gap between the two, so if the story that is being told is the ethos, which is a Greek word that means culture, and the ethos story is the beautiful story you want told, mm. how do you get from here to here? And so our company exists um, to help come alongside leaders who want the help, that want to figure out their purpose, and then a plan to get there. And that's really the secret sauce. It's developing your purpose and developing a plan to achieve that beautiful, compelling story. So what you want to be told is actually matching what is actually told. So that's why we developed this organization to help come alongside leaders of all different types to get to that point where the, the story is the ethos story. Wow. Hope yeah. that makes some sense. I remember the first time you told me this, and I, I just love the idea of it because some, so often I can struggle between the difference between perception and reality of, mm. you know, how are people perceiving you versus what the actual reality is. And 
you know, you want those to be closer than they often can feel like they are. Yeah, there's a, there's a leadership author named Max Dupree, and he wrote a book called The uh, Leadership is an Art. And he said, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. And I think, oh, and, and reality is it's necessary and sometimes it's nasty. Mm. So you define reality. And then there's another guy that had a quote. His name was Napoleon, not Napoleon Dynamite, the other one, <laughs> Napoleon Bonaparte. But he said that leaders are dealers in hope. Mm. So I think if you take these two things, you define reality and you're dealing out hope of a future state, um, you've kind of got it together. You just need a plan to get there. Mm. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it's just something that I think I've kind of fallen into over the last couple of years of having to figure out what leadership is. Uh, I mean, both through reading, but also through just practicing it and whatever where the Lord leads me. But was that dealing of hope of so, so often it seems like leadership is just helping people get through the situation they're stuck in mm. and giving them hope along the way. Yeah. And I mean, Jason, that was one thing you've helped me out with mm. several times. I mean, more than several. And I mean, Kirk as well, you as well, just in many of our conversations. And I mean, you do a great job of it already. So unlocking the miracle of leadership, that's the tagline for Ethos Story. I mean, the assumption with that tagline is that leadership is a miracle mm. and that somehow it must be unlocked. How do we unlock it? Why is mm. it a miracle? Why'd you pick that? Why'd you develop that as the tagline? I'm glad you asked. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, unlocking the miracle of leadership. I, I based the company and the slogan on one of my favorite stories. So the story is about uh, Jesus's first miracle that he performed where he turned water into wine at yeah. a wedding. Yeah. And I just think it's beautiful because he, he saw a need and he had empathy. And of course he had real authority right. and he was able to solve a problem um, that, that gave the, you know, a great wedding, a great wedding banquet. Uh, it helped the groom, it helped the bride, it helped the person in charge. And it's a beautiful story still being told today. And what's cool about that is it was a normal situation that became miraculous. So he actually told the servants, he said, take these six stone jars, fill them with water. And uh, then those so stone jars full of water became miraculously wine, not just any wine, the best wine. Mm -hmm. And so I, we've kind of built our, our company around these six stone jars. And so we have six modules and I'll, I'll run through them real quickly if I want me to. Okay. So the, the six modules are pretty simple and it's a little counterintuitive. The first one is the first stone jar is purpose. So we want to come into an organization and not tell them a purpose, but help them figure out what is their purpose? What are we trying to accomplish? The second module is assessment. So you would think most of the time you go and you assess the situation and then fix it. Yeah. I don't think that works. I've learned that over the mm. years that if you try to assess first, you'll build an organization around your weaknesses, and that's not great. So start with purpose and then assess how the organization is doing versus the purpose. And then the fun starts. The fun is leader development and team development. And the last two modules are uh, building the culture and then a communication system, mm. strategy, techniques. So you go from figuring out the purpose and a communication plan to evangelize it internally, externally, uh, so great. that your compelling story is the one that you want to be told. So that's how it kind of all fits together, but you can choose the modules however you'd like to apply them to your organization. I how, love it. Oh, yeah, yeah how often do you find that companies, I mean, whether it's churches, organizations, wherever, are stuck on the not having a purpose or not at least mm -hmm. remembering or knowing what it is anymore? Yeah, it's, it's probably one of the biggest gaps you find yeah. everywhere. There's, uh, you know, to quote another author, Simon Sinek wrote a book called Start With Why, and he outlines all these companies that the ones that start with why, they always win because the people buy into the vision. You start with why, then you figure out the what and the how. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, think about one of the best-selling books of all time, The Purpose-Driven Life, you know, that people want to find purpose. And organizations need to have a purpose, and most don't because they don't take the time to figure it out. And in churches, mm -hmm. the why leaks and mm -hmm. goes away, and then you just have a church running programs. Yeah. 
you know, That's and right. so then you have the what and the how still there. But, you know, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years later, it's this empty little church that's still trying to run the programs. But they got an endowment so they can keep the lights on. Now in the same vein, I remember this, and I, I can't remember who they were quoting, but it was kind of right in the middle between what you were just talking about. But this impacted me when I was an intern for student ministry, and our student pastors goes, you need to always remember this, vision leaks. Yeah. It's easy for people to quickly forget it. Why are you there? What, where are you going? What are you planning to do? I mean, those are different questions, but vision leaks. I just found that helpful. Well, that's why we bookended that last module on communication, because communication mm-hmm. and clarity, it prevents mm-hmm. the leaking, because uh, you're constantly communicating. As a leader, man, I'll tell you to put some handles on this. If you feel like you've said it a hundred times, the people that are hearing it have probably heard it one or five times. So keep mm-hmm. saying it, keep saying it. I think a great example of great leadership is when the people that work for you, you walk up on them and they're making fun of you and they're, they're trying to imitate you. You know, I heard Ben say, and, and they, they can imitate your voice and what you say, and you're like, my vision is not leaking, it's sticky. Is it, we is do it, that every night at our dinner table. We imitate Ben. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, he's <laughs> casting hope here for you, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> we do this all the time. So purpose and then assessment and then leadership development, team development, and then culture, culture, and then communication. And then communication, and so mm-hmm. communication. Interesting, I was just saying, like, even parents, mm-hmm. when you when you need to do some stuff with your kids because they're doing it wrong, like, I mean, discipline, punish, mm-hmm. coach, whatever you want to call, but I often used to say, all right, what's going on here? Like, that's the assessment. What's wrong? Yeah. 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 But maybe it could be, now, guys, remember, here's who we are. Now, what's just happened? But, you know, just bring that purpose back to... Uh, our, our kids or something. I don't know. I mean, I just... Yeah, if I can, I mean, bridge yeah. on that a little bit, because I think leadership, you mentioned, we talked family and church and business, but just think about our, everybody's part of a family. So that organization exists. And you think about what we don't do in families. You know, Ben, you're about to be a new dad. Yeah. You know, do we have a purpose for our family? And it can't be just to, to raise healthy, thriving kids. It, what is our specific, unique family purpose? And I, I can share about our family a little bit if that'll yeah, help. Absolutely. Um, you can, and you can gauge whether or not we've achieved our purpose or not over the years. <laughs> um, but when Ruthie and I first got married 28 years ago, we, uh, we wanted to have children. And we actually had written down at one point, wanted to have four children. And I don't, I'm glad we, well, I'm not sure what we were thinking back then. We have four children. So, um, <laughs> but we decided that we wanted to be purposeful about our, our family. And we said, uh, somehow we said we want our home to be characterized by two things, joy and forgiveness. Mm. And, um, and I wasn't exactly sure what that looked like, but one of our goals was when we had children, we wanted them to want to be together and want to be with us when they didn't have to be. So when they were little and yeah. we'd move around, we'd always tell our daughters, you are each other's best friends. You know, that is an edict. You have to be best friends because right, right. there's nobody else. Um, but over time, we've actually started to see some of this fruit that our children, they do not all the time want to yeah, be together, right, right. but they do long to be together and they want to hang out with us. And so we've, we've kind of transitioned a little bit from, you know, parenting authority to more of friends as they've gotten older. Mm-hmm. Our three techniques for that were pretty basic. Um, one was we want to support each other in our events. So if somebody's right. playing a soccer game, we were there at a soccer game yesterday. We're going to be present, supporting each other. If it's a piano recital, whatever it is, we're supporting one another. Um, another one was we're going to have dinner together. And the third way we, our strategy was that we wanted to have our home a welcoming place so that our kids' friends would want to be there. So that kind of got us around their friend group, knowing they're influenced by their friends. So and I, you, sometimes you walk in our home and it's characterized by, by chaos and anger, but <laughs> we would like to think that we're moving towards this trend of joy and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are starting to see that our, some of that is coming to be true over time. Now, clearly not perfect, but I think the purpose up front has given us a way to build a plan to kind of get where we want to be overall. Well, I think that's what 
supporting the events that kids are in, mm. and, and, and not just dad going or mom going, but maybe both and maybe one or two other kids. Siblings, yes. Yeah, siblings. Yeah. And then dinners together, and then um, our home is a welcoming place so that our kids' friends want to mm. hang out there. That enables you, like, that's kind of like the, the chassis that enables the conversations and the mm-hmm. open hearts because those happen at night or those happen while you're driving back from the soccer game in Rocky Mount or it's like that. magic. It, I mean, it just happens. It does. Yeah. yeah. And but it takes that that simple structure. Yeah, I mean over the last couple of probably a year or so actually, I've been doing a lot of reading of, you know, non Christian psychologists looking mm-hmm. at children and sociologists as well. And it's funny, again, these are non Christians and almost across the board what they found is one of the key indicators of the success of a child is not where they go to school. It's not how much money their parents make. It's not the <laughs> events or sports or whatever. It's the amount of dinners, Dinner. the amount of time, mm-hmm. all of those little things about mm-hmm. spending time with mom and dad, spending time with family. And that's incredible that, I mean, setting that as a, as a goal. And you guys have, whether you planned it or you fell into it or whatever it is, right. like we're, I know Jason and I, like we, and we can say this for you and you don't have to, but like we've seen the fruit of that just in your own kids. It's just mm-hmm. like, it's so cool to see a family that, has made this a priority and and are reaping the, the benefits and the fruit of, I think, of something that just God has given us all the ability to have mm-hmm. like, in this way. It's such a cool thing. Absolutely. Yeah, just one of the benefits of great leadership. We're still looking for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually a great question. Why, like, it's fun to... It's fun to turn leadership into, oh, a thing everybody needs to do well and, and be good at. To get stuff done. Yeah, right? okay, but... but yeah. Does it make that big of a difference? I mean, mm. let me play devil's advocate. Yeah. Like, like, what is what is the big deal about getting a few things right in leadership? Yeah. So that yeah, that is probably the fundamental question. I'd say that, and I believe we you know John Maxwell says that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Everything mm. rises and falls on leadership. That's not overstated. Mm. Wherever you have a systemic problem in a home, uh, in any organization, there is some link back to the leader and leadership. Um, and that lack of purpose and plan. And if you have sustained success, it does tie back to leadership and intentionality. And I, So one example, um, back in 2010 in, in Haiti, my daughter Kimby and I at the time, we went on a mission trip down there. It was the year of the earthquake, the really bad earthquake. And yeah. we, we saw things and experienced things together with uh, other people from our church that we'd never seen or experienced before, and it drew us close together. But one of the nights, one of the last nights we were there, I sat down with a Haitian pastor, some local Haitian young men, and the American missionaries, and I started asking them, we, oh, what is the biggest problem in Haiti? Because Haiti has a lot of problems. Mm. Um, and, they, and I thought I was going to hear, you know, there's poverty or one of the global Goliath pandemic problems that we're dealing with. And they, every one of them came to the same conclusion. They said, in Haiti, um, men between the ages of 15 and 35 don't have anything to do and so there's a lack of leadership. Mm-hmm. And so they said they don't have leadership training. Their university was destroyed. Right. And so their bored young men end up gravitating towards drugs and gangs. And, and I thought, man, this, it's ubiquitous. It's yeah. everywhere. It's yeah. in Haiti. It's at home. And I thought, man. And so that, the purpose of the organization we're supporting was to equip young men in Haiti to be better leaders. And I thought, man, what a, mm-hmm. what a great calling. And it, it just if it, if it resonates there, I know it resonates back home where we have unlimited resources um, to learn and grow and apply leadership principles. Yeah. So I, and I mean, just to ask the question, cause it's one that it's, I think it's on my heart so much of like, we, we've already talked about how the importance of leadership and even how it influences us. But so, so many of our listeners and so many people who go to our churches 
are not people who are CEOs. They're not running leadership mm-hmm. companies. They're not leading churches necessarily, but they are leaders in other places in their lives. How can, you know, the, the stay-at-home mom, mm-hmm. how can uh, the guy who just wants to be able to do his job a little bit better or be a leader in a different way or in all these different avenues, how can they take this? How can they take leadership and help? make that a part of who they are, part of their their job, and Mm. just part of their life? That's a great question, because I think that's one of the misperceptions about leadership, that leadership has to do with the position, the person that's in the role of leader. Uh, And if if we truly believe this um, principle that leadership is influence, um, unfortunately, leadership is, it can be good or bad. They're good leaders and bad leaders. Um, But if it is influence, it's whoever you're influencing. And so whether it's the stay-at-home mom, the young high school teen, uh, the person in the middle of the organization, there is huge influence. Remember, the most important and powerful influence is peer influence. It doesn't Mm -hmm. just stop when you get out of the teen years. You know, my dad asked me when I was 16 years old, he said, son, is peer pressure as bad as everybody says? And I said, no, dad, it's actually a lot worse. And he said, that's what I thought. (laughs) uh, But it's true. It's um, that peer influence. But I'd say because it, it you can lead anywhere that just just think about um, who you're influencing because what you're doing is influencing those around you. Uh, I had a lunch with a gentleman recently and he was asking about um, you know I'm not in a role of leadership uh, I've got I've got some information about leadership how do I apply it and I said well where in your life can you lead and then you, you ask anybody that question I mean if you're a dad if you are a husband if you're a mom if you're a wife you're you're leading constantly think about the mom that is the CEO of the household there's my wife has been out of town this week and it's been the most exhausting experience <laughs> because it, you realize how much has to happen logistically and to stay positive the entire time um, and so I think you if leadership is truly influence if that is an accurate definition we find ways to lead every day so I mm-hmm. I think you wake up every morning you think, where am I going to influence somebody today? And I love Stephen Covey, I think, had the principles of your circle of control, circle of influence, and your circle of concern. And they kind of go out. Your circle of control is one thing. It's me. I can control my, my yeah, thoughts, actions, it. and attitudes. But your circle of influence, those are the people that their behaviors and their attitudes are going to be affected by me. Your circle of uh, concern, those are the, the people you're praying for that are mm-hmm. impacted by those you're influencing. But if I wake up every day and think about who am I influencing today, and then that last thing of the night before I roll over and go to sleep, you know, who did I influence today? What do I need to apologize for? How do I need to reinvest tomorrow? So I, I think just I, I see the world through the lens of leadership, and I just wish more people did because it is everywhere, and I absolutely believe it changes everything. What's the best thing you learned about leadership from your wife? Oh, gosh. Um, I'd say forgiveness is one. Enjoy. Um, um, I think one thing that we've had in our relationship and that she displays all the time is joy, Hmm. that there is joy not just in the big events of life, but one thing that she displays is joy in the journey, joy in the daily, joy in the little things. Um, And I do believe that leadership isn't about those giant events. I love big events. I love to prepare for them. I like to attend them. Uh, our, our boys and I went to two big events this week in a football game, and we went to see Dude Perfect. It was great. Those are great. But it's the little things that really help build relationships and influence. So what I've learned from Ruthie is that it's the little things that she is doing day in and day out that are mm. shaping our, our children, shaping me, shaping the people she influences. Um, and those kind of pave the way so that those events actually land well and go well. But it, th- what I've learned from her is, Leadership is the little things. That's so funny because I end up landing more with Ruthie as a leader of just, mm. I love the little things that end up paving the way to get. Mm. Well, at some point, because I That's love good. the event because of the relationships and all the fun that you can have. The memories. Those. and Yeah. yeah. 
But, you know, all the little things that it takes to get to those, those can be hard and but it's also the joys along the way as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I guess I'm kind of a mixture of both about it. But um, <laughs> he talked himself through yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're well-rounded. But That's it's good. so nice to have like that. You can be in both categories. Like mm-hmm. not one of them is necessarily more right than the other. But finding joy in the in the big, and, but also in the small as well. Yeah. So let's. So one of the things Ben hates. Nice. <laughs> That's a good intro. I don't right see there. this question. Also. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the things Ben said to me one day that he, he's not a huge fan of being boxed in Ooh. with a personality assessment. I'm mm. never going to live this down. No, no. I, you probably weren't even serious when you said it, but it's going it, to, you know. But at the same time, out there in the world, there's a lot of personality assessments. Myers-Briggs, Working Genius, Enneagram, Finder, 16PF, on and on and on. Ben, I haven't made you do them all, I promise. <laughs> um, so where are they helpful? And then where, mm. like Ben, should we say, don't box me in? Yeah, that's a great, and I. And I'm happy to defend why. I'm no, no, no. I, actually, I align with that. I've, I've been through that before. Now, first of all, I love these tools because I think they're they can be very valuable tools. Just like any tool can be valuable, a tool can be misused as well. Mm. So I think about it this way. I've I've been to seminars and conferences and situations where somebody will make a statement like, "Oh, um, you're an outgoing person, so you must be disorganized." I'm like, "No, I'm not." That's right. that's a, so. It, I think there's some oversimplifying. Sometimes mm. it puts does people put people into yeah. categories, it's not quite fair. Um, because it, just because you have, you know, you're an accountant. Oh, you must love numbers and don't like to be around people. No, that's not accurate. Yeah, that's, those are stereotypes. Um, so what I see is if the way that these are used effectively is they have to be twofold, whether it's Myers-Briggs, Working Genius, DISC, whatever. Um, if it is focused on, for the individual, if it's focused on me becoming better so that I can help others, that's the first thing. And as a team, if it's designed to be used so the team can be more effective together. So the whole point of the, the, um, the personality profiles, all that, it has to be others-focused. If it's inward-focused alone, there's a lot of principle. There's probably a sermon illustration here. But if it's just inward-focused, it can turn into a weapon where it can be an excuse. Oh, I'm a, I'm an Enne, I'm an Enneagram three. You you better be like me, you know. Or I'm a, right. I am a I'm an ENTJ. Get out of my way, you know. Whatever it is, and and it's almost like somebody who is about to curse, and they say, "Pardon my French." Right. Well, I'm not going to because I know what you're about to do, yeah, you know. So, yeah. and um, so it's I think it can be used and weaponized. Uh, so the person that's administering this has to be very careful and make sure the purpose of using the tools is is very clear. And the purpose is to make the people, individuals, more self-aware so they can serve others better and for the team to be more effective so they can collaborate and work together better. Yeah. Does that make some sense? Absolutely. And it's never an excuse not to do something. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like, oh, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an ENTJ, so I don't have to do that. Or, you know, I'm all, I'm all P, so I don't have to do that. Yeah, so one example on the working genius, you have six working geniuses, and one of them is tenacity. Mm -hmm. So if tenacity is a working frustration that I'm not really good at, I can't just say, well, I'm never going to finish anything. That's somebody else's responsibility. Well, that's not exactly true. So it can become an excuse to be arrogant or lazy, which are really not good leadership tools (laughs) and and traits. And to be fair, like that's where my my joy, I guess we'll say, with these has come from. Mm -hmm. It's actually helpful to know. Well, I actually do struggle with this. Like, wow, what a shocker. I have mm-hmm. things that I am not as good at as other things. And that's actually an okay mm-hmm. thing. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I have to, I can write it off and hand it to somebody else at all times. But it, it can say, well, if 80% of my job is this, I might be in the wrong job. or And maybe I need to move to something else. Or maybe we need to adjust something. Yeah, within and the job. I found sure. life in that. My frustration mm-hmm. was always with, I, I have an issue when these are once and for all. It's, it's what you're saying. It defi- it's definitively you're this. 
It yes. starts defining you as mm-hmm. a person. Like, oh, I'm a three, right. and I'll never be anything else, and yeah. that's who you are, and so you must have these things. And it's like when we start saying your value and your definition mm-hmm. is a number or a letter or whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's like that's where I have a bit of my issue. And it kind of discounts your ability to and plan for growth. It undermines yeah. most of what I'm talking about if right. it's used yep. that way. Now, I, I do think one of the benefits is that it, it often gives you a common language. Because people yeah. can start to say, you know, I'm, I need some tenacity on this, or I need, I need somebody who is an extrovert. You, you can draw upon others and share with others, hey, I've got this to offer. I'm a galvanizer. I'm a discerner. I, mm-hmm. I have something to bring to the table. So there's, there's humility in sharing what you're good at, and there's also humility in recognizing, I'm not good at that, mm-hmm. and bringing in help but not excusing yourself. Yeah. That's a great point, Ben. And the idea of a tool, like as you, mm-hmm. when you said that, it, I, I was like, yeah, because you would never use a hammer to wash a window. Right, yeah. You know, and but you, yeah. man, I got the Enneagram and this is, everything's going to be fit into the, and it's not true. I mean, it's as good as far as it goes. Yep. Strength's fine, whatever. Mm. All right. Well, that's good. All right. Um, I like that one. Actually, and this, this is uh, spiritual gifts inventories. Mm. I, I don't know if I should say this because I might lose my job. I probably won't. But uh, like, does God give us a spiritual gift for all time or does he gift us as needed mm. in the current context. So I like yeah. the idea of taking a spiritual gift inventory. And so then I realize that, you know what? I'm a pretty much of an encourager and a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> That's who I am. You know, don't put me on the mercy. Uh, you know. Yeah. So what if I took the spiritual gifts inventory today and it said I wasn't, and leadership wasn't my gifts? Right. You know, do I fold up my book and go, oh man. So I, I, I think there may be seasons in some of that. I, yeah. That's my personal belief. Well, but. And if you don't have the gift of hospitality, it doesn't mean you, you don't have to welcome people into your life. Right. Or right. evangelism doesn't mean you don't have don't to share evangelize. your faith. Correct. So yeah. Yeah, anyway, blah, blah, blah. Here's a question I have for you. One that, uh, I, I've just personally got to kind of see from both angles. And so I'll frame it in these two things and you can correct me where I'm okay. wrong. But it's, it's something I've seen in you as someone who's gotten to both study leadership from like a, a head knowledge level of, you know, you've read the books, you've looked at material, and that has formed you as a leader. But you also have the experience of it. Mm. Of, I mean, you've literally led tanks and platoons <laughs> and people mm. and organizations at times. And you're, I mean, even running one now and helping lead others. Is there one that you found to be more helpful on the fly I mean, whether it's just reading the right books or is it just mm. getting out there and learning? Like, where should we start? Mm. Is there one to value more than the other? Do we need both? What do you think? That is, yeah, I keep saying that's a great question, but this, this is probably the best question so far. <laughs> it's, um, well, I'd, I'd start with this. I think one of the principles is that leadership is, is a both-and principle or proposition more so than an either-or. And I'll apply it to um, education and experience. So I'll say something provocative here. So <laughs> tell me what you think. But I would say <laughs> education is worthless and experience is worthless now you're thinking well you, you got to have one or the other and but there's there's more to it education without application is really worthless and i would say experience without evaluation is worthless so what i mean by that one of the things in the military i was talking with a gentleman earlier today about it after any exercise event whatever it was it could be a parade or a battle we would do an aar the Alpha Alpha Romeo, it was an after-action review. And we would go through and find out what, what, what happened. And it wasn't just what went wrong, it's also what went right. We don't mm-hmm. do that very often in the business mm-hmm. world and right. in life. Um, but it was evaluated experience. If we had mm-hmm. the experience and we don't evaluate it, we are going to repeat the same mistakes. And what went well, it might have just been luck. So evaluation and experience have to go together. And education, really, if you're not going to apply it, there's really no point in it. So I, it is a, I think it's... Um, 
I think it was in, yeah, Jim Collins' book, uh, Built to Last, not Good to Great, but Built to Last, he said that you should reject the tyranny of the or and embrace the genius of the and. Hmm. So I think it's, you know, experience uh, and evaluation, it's education and application. And I, I just see this a lot, and I think it requires both. Now, the reality is the only way to get better at leading is by leading. So I, I love to read leadership books. Mm. I like to study other people, study communicators, but I'm not actually going to improve my leadership until I get out there and actually practice leading. So I'd, I'd say for any emerging leader, or like you said earlier, where, where can I apply this? Find areas in your life where you're influencing people. It could be, and sometimes you volunteer. I had a period of life where I wasn't leading anything at work, and I'd gone from leading a huge organization, moved here, and I wasn't leading anybody, not even myself. And I was uh, tapped on the shoulder to coach our daughter's middle school girls soccer team. It was like the greatest thing of my life because I had <laughs> people to pour into. I got to influence them. I got to know their parents. And it was a gift from God because I needed to find a place to, to lead because I had a lot of education experience and not, nowhere to apply it. So I would yeah. find ways to lead, but it's both and, not either or. Okay. That's great. I actually have another one. Uh I, I hear this a lot, and I, I'd be curious what you said. Like uh, people are like, you can't really lead until you can learn how to follow. I'd be mm. curious <laughs> on what you think the relationship between real leadership and the ability of like followership, or just being able mm. to follow in general. Like, how do those go hand in hand, or maybe they don't? No, it absolutely do. Uh, I would say, you know, it's interesting. In it, I go back to the military a lot, and I yeah. I wish I would have appreciated as much of the leadership learning mm. experience education I got back then. Back then, but it it really was valuable a very efficient organization, but they, uh, we got graded. So if you were on a, a, a squad exercise or if you're at Ranger school, or even as a cadet, when I was in college on an ROTC scholarship, they're training you to be an officer. We were evaluated on everything we did. And one of the categories was followership. I don't even know if it's a real word, but in, in, it would be when somebody else is in charge, how do you follow? And uh, one of the, I've got a, a young men that come over to our house. Our son Caleb and his friends come over, and we do leadership training every, every week. Yeah. So it's all of his 11th grade class, and, and they're into it. And, and they, one of the uh, principles we talked about last week is that, um, uh, uh, if I make sure I say it right, but um, obedience privately leads to influence publicly. So I don't know if obedience is the best word, but if somebody is leading and they have something you don't really agree with, but it's not unethical. It's good to you know follow through now and then come back later and say, you know, I don't know if that was the right thing. So you, you follow through publicly, mm, but yeah. then address it privately. Mm. It's not much different than parenting. You know, in parenting, we would always tell our children uh, to have the right to uh, disagree with us, start obeying first, yeah. and then you can come back and advocate for what you think is right. Um, so I think that learning to follow and it gives you so much perspective. I mean, so many times I'll be with a peer and there'll be a leader and we're both thinking the same thing. That lady or that man, they're really not leading very well. And one of us will have some rebuke to the other one and say, you know, they're probably going through a lot. Or, hmm. you know, they've got a there's a book called The Burden of Command. And I think the leader, as a pastor of a church, leader of a youth ministry, you wear a lot of burdens all the time that many people don't appreciate or know. And so giving the leader the benefit of the doubt also, you know, allows other people to give you the, the benefit of the doubt. Because those roles flip a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm leading people I've followed before. I'm following people I've led before. So I think following well is an example of mature yeah. leadership. Won't it be great when you follow your kids? Well, I already am. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. isn't that fun yeah. as they get yeah. older and, and you're like, wow. Dad, yes. you shouldn't have said that. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But even, <laughs> even beyond that, when they pick your old folks home. But there you anyway. go. All right. Let's wind this up. So um, let's say I'm a church mm -hmm. leader, uh, maybe on, on the board of a church mm -hmm. or a pastor, or I'm a business owner, 
or uh, the director of a department at, mm-hmm. a, at a company, and I say, we got to do a better job. And I heard this podcast with Kirk Bagnell on Encounter Grace and his company called Ethos Story. What is the fruit from me contracting mm-hmm. with you, from partnering with you? What's coming? Yeah, that, so I would say it's one big thing is that you would take away as, as the leader. So if you're the point leader of an organization and we partner together, I would say you, you would walk away from the experience, whether it's one module, a bunch of modules, any experience, you would come away confident. Hmm. So, and I love the word confidence. It means with faith. And so you would be confident because a lot of leaders of organizations, you, you hear the phrase, it's lonely at the top. So leadership can be lonely. Uh, it can be, you can have doubts. You can feel, you can have imposter syndrome where you know you're not that great of a leader and you're trying to make sure everybody else doesn't realize you're not a great leader. And so you kind of pretend. And so going through this exercise, you would, you're going to have confidence because you will have developed a purpose with your organization so then you're sharing the burden they're with you so you're not alone you'll have a plan to get better you'll begin growing and so you'll be confident you won't be lonely you'll be with other people and i think you're on a path to to improve so i the confidence is the one thing i'd say now if you go through everything you're going to have a plan that you can execute uh, and you're going to have communication tools and techniques and strategies and systems that will make sure that it's constantly understood but confidence would be because i think that's what holds a lot of leaders back and there's a big difference in confidence and cockiness. You know, we want, mm-hmm. we want confident mm-hmm. leaders. Confidence is rooted in humility because it's with faith. Mm-hmm. you got to have faith. I mean, if, I, if my faith, and it truly is in God, I have confidence that I'm under his authority and I'm following well so I can lead well. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, let's, um, let's go from ethos story, ethos story. See, as Canadians, we yeah, say you pronounce ethos. it differently. It's okay. It's all the same ethos thing. Story. Uh, to everybody's story, and let's do a little speed round. You sure. might have already given us this, but I said to you, hey, give us the three most helpful principles that have affected you. Mm. And maybe they haven't already come out. Uh, and if, you know, give us, like, just speed round at the end. Three yeah. things. All right. So let me, just three. Okay. Just so, three. I mean, Not John Maxwell has 21 laws of leadership, but I got to do it in three. Okay. I'll <laughs> boil it down. Okay. I'd say the first thing I mentioned earlier, but I want to restate is that um, is practice leading. Find areas in your life where you're influencing and, and practice leading and evaluate that. So I'd say just find ways to lead anybody, any, any age, any, any, any role you're in. Um, the second thing is that uh, leading the right way is not just the right way. It's the most effective way to lead. And so leadership really is a stewardship. It's temporary and you're accountable. Andy Stanley said that. And I, I mean, think about the Garden of Eden. Leadership is a stewardship. It's temporary, and you're accountable for what you do. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say practice leading. Um, leading the right way is the most effective way, so don't take shortcuts. There's a yeah. temptation to take shortcuts, so leading the right way. Wait, uh, that's true on your taxes, too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it only takes doing it wrong one time and getting caught. Um, leading the right way is the best way. Yeah, it's that's the most effective. That's a great principle. That's is the most effective yeah. way. That's yeah. a great I mean, principle. that's part of one of my goals for the rest of life is to prove that that's true. Mm-hmm. I believe it. Um, and, I, and over time, I think it gets proven true over time and time again. I'd say the third thing is um, there's a book I've been dabbling on writing for years, and I, I've got some chapters written, but the title of it is going to be Love to Lead, but it's love, comma, to lead. Mm-hmm. And the point is that you have to love, comma, in order to lead your people. And so whoever it is that you're influencing, you have to love them in order to lead them. I know it sounds weird at work. Uh, maybe it's easier as a pastor. Maybe there's some unlovable people. I mean, I'm in your congregation, so I can understand. But um, <laughs> Ruthie makes up for it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but it is a, a leadership is an act of love. And so if the people that you're responsible for, so if I'm a leader positionally and I have people in my department or my organization, if I don't truly care about them, 
I shouldn't be leading them. And you have to ask yourself that all the time. And um, so you have to love them in order to lead them. And love comes in a lot of different forms. It's providing accountability. It's giving development. It's giving direction, um, expectations. Uh, but it is, and it's giving grace. Uh, but loving, so practice leading, leading the right way is the most effective way. And then evaluate, are you loving the people you're leading, starting with your family? Probably about the third one is the is one of those that the Lord has shown me the most in the last four years. Hmm. Like I look at my leadership ability, and I think in many ways it comes back wanting. At least I've seen mm. some of that in my own life. But of all the success that I've had in leading students, and it just always boils down to, I, you know, I just kind of love them. And I go back to you know, love does really cover a multitude of sins. And, That's true too. <laughs> and it's just incredible when you do love people well how much that can look mm-hmm. like good leadership. And it's an act of your will. I mean, yeah. sometimes you, you I mean, yeah. we choose to love. I mean, we've all, yeah. we've all been through those periods where it's difficult yeah. to love, but it's it's an act of will. Can I give one mulligan? Absolutely. Okay, so I was thinking about... Yeah. <laughs> Always keep the standards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, keep the standards. Um, I'd say the, the last thing is that if you're um, going to lead people, uh, make sure I get this right, uh, that leading and reading go hand in hand. Now, that's easy for me because I love to lead, but I love to read. And uh, if there's one book that I would recommend for people to read uh, that want to grow as a leader, it's called Love is the Killer App, A-P-P. It's by a guy named Tim Sanders. Uh, He used to be a top guy at Yahoo, and he's a consultant now. But he teaches in this book how to read and learn from leadership books. So it's kind of the, you need to read this so you can read others. He teaches you how to take notes, how to glean from that the right concepts, and how to share them with others, and how to lead for the benefit, read for the benefit of others and not just for yourself. So I would would just promote that to others. And I guess on top of that is there, if I'm listening to somebody talk about leadership, I might be thinking, I haven't led well to this point. I haven't led my family well. Mm -hmm. I haven't led my department, my organization well. What do I do? One of my favorite quotes from Lily Tomlin, uh, entertainer and actress, she said, that forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. And so wow. it's good. It's that deep. It is good. And I think in leadership, we need to think about leadership that way. No matter what we've done in the past, you know, just, all right, confess it, move on, give up all hope of a better past, and focus on being a leader who's dealing in hope in the future rooted in reality. So I think that quote has really resonated with me in life situations, but especially in leadership, because in leadership, you're going to get it wrong quite often. And even reminding yourself it's not a once and done, one and done thing that, uh, Forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. That's good. <laughs> Kirk, how do we contact Ethos Story if we want to learn more from you or, or get you into our company? Sure. It's, uh, so my website is ethosstory.com, E-T-H-O-S-T-O-R-Y.com. My email is kirk, K-I-R-K, at ethosstory.com. Great. Real simple. Well, I guarantee you now you'll have 38,000 emails. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Let's hope so. No, I love it, though. It's just really fun to talk with you. And I think both Ben and I, our wheels are turning because we have like eight more questions each. But, you know, you got to you got to people have a commute and it's only so long. So we got to wind this up. Uh, thank you for taking the time to be with us. I thank know you. You're, you're everywhere and it's fun to have you here. That's great. It's a real pleasure and honor. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us. Uh, I can't wait to be with you the next time we're together. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.